Um, I'm going I'm to go ahead and kick us off. There may be a few people come wandering in a little bit. Um, today uh, we have the privilege of introducing uh, Hendrik Erdahl, um, a colleague, so to speak, that I met uh, during a year that I was in Oslo, Norway at the Peace Research Institute of Oslo, or PRIO as most people know it. Um, Henrik is sort of an, a unique figure in a way because I, I don't actually know, I think there's a, probably 50 or 60 of you people around the world who really seriously study demographic issues in the context of trying to understand conflict dynamics and conflict processes. Uh, Henrik has written a number of studies over the years on a variety of different things. Um, the work here on youth bulges that he'll draw upon in part uh, in his talk today on uh, population dynamics in, in India. Um, he's written on civil war. He, he's work, worked on climate change or the security implications of climate change. Um, youth exclusion issues. Uh, demographic consequences of conflict, which is yet another area of study uh, where people actually do, in various different venues, they do detailed studies of who died and who didn't. Uh, and what the demographic and uh, migration consequences of civil war and other kinds of conflicts are. Um, Henrik also has an important standing these days in the international uh, study of conflict. He's the editor of the Journal of Peace Research, uh, probably one, certainly one of the foremost journals of peace and conflict studies um, internationally. Um, and uh, he's also been involved with the World Bank over the years with the Human Security Project um, and um, given talks in a wide variety of different kind of venues. Um, he's um, highly approachable. <laughs> Believe me, I actually for I think about six months or something or other, my office was next door and I could easily walk in and get information. Um, and he'll have a little bit of time before he ta takes off this afternoon if somebody wants to actually track him down for a, for a short one-on-one. -on -one. Um, with that, I think I'll turn it over to you and let you run the show. Thank you very much, Craig, and um, both to you and, and to John Kesseline for inviting me to come here. I'm, uh, I feel very privileged to have this opportunity, and I'm going to see if I can turn on my microphone as well. I forgot to say you're also hiding your Yes, I, until um, the end of the academic year, I'm also a, a, a research fellow at the International Security Program at the uh, Belfer Center at the Kennedy School of Government uh, at Harvard. Um, and um, one of my co-authors on this paper is also a professor uh, at the Kennedy School. Uh, so I, I, um, I want to start by uh, saying, uh, well, Two, two disclaimers. Uh, one is that this is very much a, a paper in progress. Uh, so I really appreciate all the uh, feedback that, that we can get on this project. And I uh, certainly, uh, we haven't come to the end in terms of, of making uh, very strong conclusions. But uh, I'll um, give it a, the, the setup of the project and also some uh, initial results uh, from the project. Second thing is that I'm, I'm certainly no demographer. I'm, uh, I, I have been studying demography uh, sort of undergraduate level uh, and have been very much inspired by uh, much important uh, demographic literature, but I'm, I'm, uh, I'm certainly not, not in a position to make the claim that I'm a demographer, but we are, I, I belong to a group of, of political scientists who 
find demographic processes uh, uh, very uh, interesting and relevant to political issues, both as, as an outcome and as a driver of political processes. Um, so that's my uh, sort of uh, my um, intake uh, to this issue. This is a project that uh, has a lot of co-authors, uh, and, and we're adding as we go along. Um, Erika Forsberg is a uh, researcher at the um, Uppsala uh, University, the Department of Conflict and Research, and they are the provider of the most uh, authoritative data sets on armed conflicts uh, globally. Uh, and it's certainly the place to check out if, you're, uh, if you want to look closer at some of the data that I'm using here or any other conflict data. Uh, Ragnin Loros and Gudrun Ospi are both colleagues at PRIO, have been looking uh, on issues of religion and ethnicity and how that plays into um, uh, issues like um, horizontal inequality, um, so group level inequalities um, between ethnic religious groups. Um, Vegard Schierbeck and Marcin uh, Stonavsky are researchers at uh, the International Institute for Applied Systems Analysis in Vienna uh, and have been contributing the uh, demographic data to this project. They've been doing some very interesting work on uh, Indian demography. Uh, and I should also say that for those of you interested in, in sort of cross-national study, they've, they've uh, quite recently completed a, a big data set on, uh, on education by uh, age and gender. Uh, back uh, projecting to uh, 1970. Uh, they cover uh, currently 120 countries globally, uh, and this is a really unique data set. Um, then uh, Monica Toft is a professor at uh, Harvard Kennedy School, who's been working a lot on issues of differential growth uh, between ethnic religious groups and how that plays into conflict dynamics, uh, and then finally myself. So uh, the motivation behind this study and this project is that we wanted to integrate perspectives in political demography that have previously been theoretically and empirically separate, but that certainly are related. Uh, we're trying to build a more coherent framework explaining how and when um, age structural and population growth differentials uh, in demographic subpopulations may affect the risk of violent conflict. So we're looking at what is driving uh, political uh, violence. Um, and we're also, by doing this, we're trying to contribute to the emerging empirical literature uh, focusing on the uh, disaggregated dynamics of conflict. Uh, there is a very significant uh, move in the uh, sort of quantitative uh, civil war and, and political violence uh, literature towards, uh, you know, uh, disaggregating from, uh, from the uh, cross-national uh, studies that have been dominating the field uh, over the past 10, 15 years to a more uh, sort of geographically nuanced uh, perspective. And I think that's, that's certainly very appropriate in a, when talking about uh, demographic impacts uh, on conflict dynamics. And we're also trying to uh, also broaden our perspective on the kinds of political violence that we're looking at, not only considering more conventional forms of armed conflict between two organized uh, groups where one is the state, but also looking more uh, into other forms of political violence. I'll, I'll return to that. Um, and I have to say also that, that uh, this particular paper is motivated by the availability of three major sources of data that uh, come very nicely together, uh, and I'll get back to those in a second. Um, to give you just a brief outline of, of what I'm going to uh, talk about today, uh, I'm going to say a little bit about uh, my work uh, on youth bulges and conflict and backtracking a little bit on, on the development uh, in some of that work. 
Um, I will um, say also a little bit about the relationships uh, to the literature on uh, demographic shifts, meaning uh, the shifts between ethnic uh, religious groups and how that impacts uh, politics. Um, then uh, I'll uh, be explaining why we're uh, using India as an application to study this and uh, also uh, present the empirical model and some of the uh, preliminary results that we have. So um, I, uh, I have been working on the issue of age structure transitions uh, since I did my master's degree uh, uh, a few years back. Um, it's, it's motivated originally from some of the uh, what we call neo-Malthusian or resource scarcity work on population pressure uh, and conflict. And generally the literature uh, comes up with, with the, the quantitative literature uh, hasn't found very much support for the general notion that high population pressure on natural resources is something that drives conflict. It can certainly drive a lot of, of, of uh, unfortunate outcomes and, and certainly lead to, uh, to major humanitarian mm -hmm. suffering but, and, and migration, but it certainly uh, is not a strong relationship between high population pressure generally and, and the risk of uh, civil war. Um, so it led me into looking at some of the more specific um, uh, uh, suggestions pertaining to how uh, demographic dynamics affect conflict and, and one claim that is very much out there both in, in, in some of the historical literature on uh, civil wars and revolutions but also uh, certainly in the, in the more popular uh, perception of, of, uh, of uh, conflicts um, and violence, um, youth bulges is, is, uh, is one thing that stands out. It's, it's a terrible term in the sense that it, it doesn't really address you know, the typical uh, post-World War II baby boom uh, bulge that we'll see in the population. So for any demographer, I will have to qualify that to say, okay, it's, it's, not, it's not actually a bulge in the, in the age structure of a population, it, it simply refers to very youthful populations. Um, so essentially in my empirical analysis, I, I disregard everything so below the age of 15. <clears throat> um, and looking at, at the, um, the proportion of 15 to 24 year olds in the adult population and how that affects the risk of conflict. So there are essentially two uh, quite quite significant uh, literatures that have been looking at, at this, uh, not really quantitatively, uh, but mostly uh, case studies. Um, the opportunity perspective is, um, um, in particular, represented by Paul Collier, who's uh, formerly the head of, uh, of uh, the Conflict Division uh, Research Department at the World Bank and now is uh, at Oxford, um, who's arguing that uh, large uh, availability of, or uh, great availability of, of young people in a population um, means that you have very low opportunity cost uh, of a, a potential rebel soldier. So you both have great availabilities and then you have the, the Easterlin perspective uh, arguing that when you have uh, a sudden increase in, uh, in uh, youth cohorts, you also have a depression of male wages. So there's so both a large availability of, of uh, young men, and particularly in cases where you have very few opportunities in the ordinary economy, um, and in addition to that, you have uh, you know the, the added pressure from um, uh, the depression of male wages. Uh, this is is to some extent related to education, especially when you have a market where uh, uh, more educated uh, young people are able to get a job. Um, 
the, uh, the investment in education is certainly something that is argued uh, by Collier and others to reduce the, uh, the uh, recruitability of young people since they might have greater opportunities in the ordinary economy. Uh, and the relative cohort size argument uh, of Isulin is, is, again, one that I uh, think at least plays in some places. Um, and there is also uh, the, uh, the argument that, that the relevance of, uh, of large youth bulges obviously depends on, on the economic performance of a country. Um, and so you would expect to see that this problem is, uh, is particularly uh, relevant in, in, uh, in, economies, uh, in economies that perform relatively poorly. So uh, the availability of a lot of, of unemployed young uh, men in a situation of economic decline would certainly be something that uh, from this perspective, uh, arguably, would uh, lead to uh, to lowering the recruitment cost and uh, uh, providing for an easier um, uh, establishment of a rebel force. Uh, you have many of the same arguments uh, 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 pertaining to what we may call the grievance perspective, which is uh, or the motive perspective, uh, whatever uh, you want to call it, which is more uh, political science uh, take on the issue of, of um, the uh, generation of conflict, um, focusing on many of the same uh, issues, and particularly the role of unemployment in large populations. Um, the uh, argument uh, about education is interestingly uh, somewhat similar and somewhat different, and particularly uh, in, in a lot of the, um, in a lot of countries where you have, where government is, uh, is using uh, education strategically to try to you know, keep young people off the streets, um, this is, uh, according to the uh, grievance perspective, uh, potentially a counterproductive uh, um, strategy in the case where you don't have really an economy that can facilitate the large influx of uh, highly mobilizable young men with high education into the society. And, and this is arguably what we've seen in some of the Arab Spring uh, countries uh, where you have, uh, you know, in, 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 in especially in, in North Africa, you have very significant uh, uh, cohorts of, of very well-educated uh, young people who are not able to, to find a job. And the waiting time to get a, a government job is, is increasing with one year per year almost. Uh, so it's, it's, it's been... Uh, uh, it's been a, it, it, there's a, a term uh, invented for uh, the, the kind of situation uh, relating to the Middle East, North African countries, um, namely wadehood, which is all the different processes that young men in particular are going through in, in sort of waiting from the time they graduate from school to uh, the time they can uh, get a family and get a job uh, and get a life. Uh, there is also, uh, it has been argued that, uh, that the role of youth bulges is particularly um, challenging in the context of uh, lack of democracy. Um, and we've, doing, uh, we've done some, some research on that as well. And um, also some of the more recent work with, uh, I've done with some colleagues looking at urban social disorder, um, both violent and nonviolent uh, in on the city level, uh, looking at whether age structure transitions plays into that. Um, so I, I, from, from the, both from my own work and, and others' work in this area, um, there seems to be some effect uh, statistically on, uh, uh, of youth bulges when it comes to uh, the, the risk of, uh, of uh, low intensity conflict. We find very little evidence for, uh, for large youth bulges causing uh, major civil wars, um, 
but certainly for if you if you think about low intensity conflicts as something uh, you know in the neighborhood of, of uh, above 25 battle deaths per year uh, up to a thousand uh, that is certainly where we see a certain increase in the risk uh, of conflict in countries where you have very significant youth bulges and there's also uh, I, I found similar patterns when looking in in a previous study of, of India um, explaining uh, three different measures of political violence um, but on, in, in another study, when we looked at, at, uh, at um, city-level urban social disorder, we uh, have not been able to find any effect of, uh, of uh, age structure, urban age structure transitions, although those data are not available on the city level, only for the country level. So we don't, we don't really trust those results uh, as much. Uh, this, this argument also relates to a, a slightly um, different literature focusing on the um, impact, uh, the raising impact in certain countries and certain contexts of um, gender imbalances. Um, and uh, there was a book published in 2004 by uh, Valerie Hudson and Andrea Dembor looking specifically at this issue uh, in the context of China, um, uh, arguing that imbalances caused by primarily uh, sex-selective abortion, but also by uh, negligent um, treatment of, of, of young females, uh, causes eventually pressures in the, in the marriage market and um, uh, leading low-status men uh, least attractive both in the labor market and the marriage market, obviously, and that eventually this will lead to increasing antisocial behavior among young men. Obviously, we haven't seen the uh, the uh, the really the, the major consequences of that, but but certainly, with I, I believe uh, the, uh, the the current rates uh, among newborn both in China and, and certain places in India are certainly large enough so that that uh, it could uh, be a major concern. Um, and and Hudson and Bora argue that uh, that um, uh, this relates to uh, potentially to political violence as well. Uh, again, it's a factor that when young men are not able to uh, to uh, create a family to um, actually get a job in the ordinary economy, uh, again, it's something that reduces the recruitment cost of young men, um, and that unattached males are much more mobilizable for conflict. I, at this point, I, I have to add another uh, 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 qualifications, which is that obviously for anyone um, uh, working in conflict, it's 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 obvious that most young men do not participate in armed conflict. Uh, most young men are relatively peaceful, uh, and uh, I, uh, I don't want to uh, be, uh, uh, be suggesting that, uh, that this is a deterministic uh, relationship that uh, and young men are, are uh, you know, for, for a penny or two willing to run out in the streets and uh, wage a conflict, but, but certainly uh, there are some, some larger demographic forces at play that uh, can contribute to explain some of the patterns that we see. Um, and as I said, it's particularly relevant for China and, and certainly also for certain areas in India, and I'll, I'll return to that um, uh, in the uh, presentation of some of the data that we use. Uh, and it's really quite stunning, the, the uh, differences in, in, uh, in uh, uh, size of, uh, of cohorts, uh, male and female cohorts, especially in the younger ages in, in certain uh, Indian areas. Okay, so moving on now from, from the sort of youth bulge differential growth, uh, sorry, uh, youth bulge and, uh, and uh, gender uh, disparity uh, issues to the issue of differential growth, um, which essentially uh, is based on the fear uh, on the part of, of ethnic or religious groups of being outnumbered. 
This is a, I, I, I've been fascinating, uh, I've been fascinated by this, this issue since I worked for uh, the International Criminal Tribunal for the former Yugoslavia, looking at some of, how, how some of the census results from Bosnia have been used very, um, uh, in a very inflammatory way by particularly the, uh, the Bosnian Serb uh, minority to argue for a secession of the Bosnian Serb areas, uh, claiming that the Muslims in Bosnia would uh, soon constitute a majority and then introduce Sharia uh, uh, in Bosnia. Um, and uh, it's, it's a case that you find, uh, it's, it's an argument that you find in many places. Uh, I mean, it's, it's very, uh, certainly very relevant to the issue of, of Palestine and Israel. Uh, you find it in Lebanon, in Northern Ireland, and you certainly do find it in India, despite the fact that uh, the Muslim minority is not likely to overtake uh, the Hindus in the next 500 years or so. It's still uh, uh, surprisingly prevalent in the political uh, debate. Um, so the, the argument is that ethnic conflicts arise from lack of credible commitments on the part of the dominant group, and if the power of balance between groups is maintained, then the social contract uh, between groups is also preserved. However, uh, the, the, the problem of credible commitments arise whenever uh, the balance of ethnic power shifts. Uh, so you can have rising minorities that make redistributive uh, redistrib demands on the part of the majority, uh, or you can have declining majorities uh, that will launch preventive measures to try to avoid uh, uh, a minority to, uh, to get into power. So you can have, uh, essentially have conflicts uh, that are initiated from both a declining majority and a rising minority. Um, we also link this somewhat to the, uh, to, uh, the issue of migration and particularly the, the Sons of the Soil uh, conflict literature, um, although uh, this pertains in particular to the issue of, um, uh, sort of internal migration dynamics um, uh, where you typically have a, uh, a uh, dominant population that is spreading into areas of, uh, of um, uh, other ethnic minorities. Um, in terms of, of, of the empirical literature on this, there haven't been published a lot of studies uh, on this topic. Monica Toft, who's one of my co-authors here, have published a study um, which really doesn't show a lot of, of cross-national support for the hypothesis and, and certainly not in, in, in the uh, constellations where you would expect it to happen the most. Um, I've found a little support for it in the previous India article, uh, but, but so far uh, there's not a, you know, a very strong systematic support. There's some, obviously some anecdotal evidence from a lot of conflict areas where demography is certainly a very important um, aspect. But I, I, I do think that, that uh, you know, the research on this topic is not by no means uh, exhausted. Um, we also add the perspective of systematic inequalities on group level, uh, which is uh, uh, argued to uh, possibly play into the relationship between differential growth and, and conflict. Um, and um, uh, the argument is that, that uh, ethnic conflicts are often driven by underlying economic inequalities and Horizontal inequalities then relate to systematic inequalities between identity groups, either religion or uh, ethnicity. We also include caste here. Um, and that disadvantaged groups are likely to feel resentment as a reaction to either real or perceived exploitation and discrimination. Um, 
violence is then seen as, as a, potentially erupting as a result of either the relatively disadvantaged group challenging the status quo or the relatively privileged defending the status quo. Uh, and uh, Gudrun has done uh, at least one cross-national analysis using data from uh, demographic health surveys, finding uh, very clearly uh, that uh, levels of higher levels of horizontal inequality between the largest groups in the society is something that is linked to uh, a somewhat increase in uh, the risk of armed conflict onset. Uh, and there's also some subnational uh, support for this uh, done on, pr I, I, I believe, primarily on. Uh, data from Sub-Saharan Africa. Uh, so what we're trying to do in this paper is to try to combine some of these perspectives um, and, and these sort of one of the starting points for our, uh, our, uh, our project is that uh, Huntington argues in his, uh, his Clash of Civilizations that younger and more demographically dynamic ethnic groups exert political, economic, and social pressures on less uh, dynamic groups. So, he argues that cycles of violence follow age structure transitions in ethnic religious populations. He has a graph in his book showing that uh, when the Sinhalese population is peaking in terms of youth bulges, there is a violence, there, there's a peak in violence uh, on the part of the, of the Sinhalese. Uh, and later when you have a peak in uh, the um, uh, Tamil population, Tamil youth population, there's a similar peak in violence uh, perpetrated by uh, Tamil groups. Uh, so we're trying to see if, if this you know, plays out also uh, when looking at it more systematically on the subnational level. Um, and then we argue that, that these demographic transitions are likely to intensify in the context of great group level inequalities. Um, so the application that we use for this project currently is uh, India, and, and certainly there are many good reasons to, uh, to, check, uh, to, to, to look at India. India is, is extremely demographically diverse. Uh, it has um, a great variation in political violence. You have some areas that are, have had long-standing conflicts uh, of, of very high intensity. Um, you have uh, certainly a lot of areas that are inherently peaceful and have been for a long time, uh, and there's a lot of different forms of violence going on. So typically you have uh, secessionist or at least autonomous movements uh, in a lot of areas, both in the north and uh, northeast. Um, and you have uh, the Naxalite movement in the, in the central uh, part of the southern part. And then you have um, uh, the um, uh, generally uh, Hindu-Muslim riots, which are taking place in, in a lot of different states. <clears throat> um, generally, very good record keeping, both for political violence and, uh, and uh, demographic and other variables. Uh, and also, um, the, uh, again, the, the variation in India has, has a very significant population and a lot of, of data available on the state level. So it's possible to make a, a sub subnational uh, cross-state uh, comparison within India. Um, the uh, population, in, in 2001, uh, the, the religious composition of uh, India was roughly 80% 80 uh, 80 Hindu, 11.5% Muslim, 2% Christian, 2% Sikh. Um, but the variation across states is obviously uh, very significant. Uh, there are currently 35 states and union territories, uh, of which 22 and 22 greatest, uh, largest are uh, covered in the current analysis. Um, the reason for that is that for the smaller areas, we have not been able to, or Vigar Sheerbrick and his team has not been able to, uh, to construct uh, sufficiently good uh, demographic data uh, for the measures that we use. Uh, 
So just to explain the empirical model, we, we were looking across these 22 states, uh, and the unit of observation is uh, Indian state years in the period 1989 to 2009, so it's 21 years um, of data. We have uh, conflict data from a recent project of the UCDP is the Uppsala Conflict Data Project. Um, they have, as I said, uh, been providing the most uh, authoritative armed conflict data for a long period of time, and now they've also uh, produced a geo-referenced event data set based on their conflict data, uh, which uh, has data on all the individual events relating to an armed conflict that is already in their data set. So there are certain limitations, um, but um, they're covering all events that lead, led to at least one casualty. Um, we also have data uh, on generally on age structure and education by ethnic group. Uh, these are based on roughly uh, well the 2001 census, but also um, uh, survey data. Uh, and the uh, I'll, I'll I'll get back to that uh, in a second, uh, explaining a little more in detail what what the data looks like. And we have horizontal inequality data from demographic health surveys uh, based on household goods and education uh, from three different rounds of uh, surveys. We all control for total population size, uh, level of literacy, uh, and rural urban distribution of population. Uh, and we run both a loaded model on a binary um, measure uh, of at least five um, deaths uh, per year, and a negative binomial regression on an event count of, uh, of the political violence event uh, data. Um, so the, the UCDP conflict event data um, are, uh, I mean, th this, is, this is a data set that actually hasn't been released yet, uh, and I, I haven't even been allowed to look into the files in detail. It's, uh, it's, uh, uh, they will be, like all Uppsala data, eventually um, uh, released uh, for free download, um, but uh, currently it's, it's kept within the Uppsala family. So. It's good to have an Uppsala uh, researcher on board. So we have the, I have the, uh, the aggregate data, but I uh, haven't been able to look into the more specifics yet. So any questions pertaining to that, I'll have to, uh, to redirect to my Uppsala colleague. Um, as I said, the, uh, the definition is um, the use of armed force by an organized actor against another organized actor or against civilians, resulting at least one direct death. Uh, at specific, and they have the specific location uh, and the date wherever that is available. And this is, is, is uh, geocoded, so it's, it's going to be possible for anyone interested in doing um, uh, spatial analysis on these data to, uh, to use it, and we, that's, a, that's a great opportunity. And they're covering three different uh, types of armed conflict. I can go into this in more detail for those interested, but the Uppsala is separating between state-based conflicts, which is between at least a government, at least one government and uh, an organized group, so it can be between two governments, but the government has to be in there on one of the sides, and it has, uh, for all, uh, it, it has to be organized groups in order to, to be included. Um, the one-sided violence is, is uh, between an organized group and civilians, so they are uh, uh, less of a, of a uh, the, the, the criteria for organization is, is, is more loose. And then the non-state conflicts are uh, capturing conflicts where the state is not directly involved, where you have two uh, organized uh, groups that fight each other. And uh, there's um, uh, several uh, conflicts within all different categories uh, in India, 
actually India is, is most years home to roughly a quarter of all armed conflicts uh, in the world, between 20 and 25% uh, of all armed conflicts uh, at any given time in, uh, are happening within India. So most of these conflicts are low intensity conflicts, uh, up, many of them in the northeast of the country, uh, but you also have you know, a significant number of deaths each year from the Naxalite movement, um, and also obviously the, uh, the Kashmir uh, conflict. Um, over the period that we're covering, uh, there are 7,000 state-based events uh, and a total of 31,000 deaths. Uh, and uh, 25 of the states, of the 35 states, uh, have seen conflict over this period of time, a state-based conflict. Um, when you look at one-sided uh, events, it's also quite a significant number, 2,700 events, uh, 9,000 deaths, and uh, spanning 23 states. Uh, slightly fewer non-state events, um, 400 events in total, but, but a significant number of deaths, 4,700, and in 17 states. So what we're doing is that we have, we, we've, this is at, 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 a, at a, uh, currently this is a rather exploratory uh, exercise. We, we do expect, we have some hypotheses expecting to see certain forms of violence and, and our expectation was particularly to see uh, high violence uh, uh, or demograph uh, demographic differentials driving certain forms of one-sided violence, in particular Hindu-Muslim riots. Um, I, I, we, we haven't found very much support for that. I'll, I'll return to that as well. But um, we have uh, ended up in, in the current iteration of the paper looking at, uh, at um, uh, merging all the different uh, forms of, of violence together. So as I said, we have two, uh, using two different uh, measures. So one is a binary measure with uh, five plus casualties per year. And uh, of the 639 uh, state years in our sample, 238 uh, make this. Uh, so slightly more than a third of the sample has at least five casualties of some sort uh, within, uh, in, in, yeah, in a third of the, the state years see uh, such significant conflict. And then we use the event count measure. Uh, for those interested in particular, if you want to see the, so the um, uh, distribution, Jammu and Kashmir is certainly the, the state in India that sees the most conflict, a uh, total of 5,500 events of, of all three different kinds, uh, and almost 19,000 deaths over the uh, 21 years that we're covering. Uh, Punjab and Assam are the second and third most affected. And then we have uh, a place like Goa that has no events uh, over the you know, entire period of time. Um, this is the uh, aggregate uh, number of deaths uh, in India from all the three different types of violence that we're covering. I wouldn't be able to tell you the details behind all the spikes, especially since I, I haven't been able to see the data. Uh, what we know is that a lot of the Hindu-Muslim uh, violence is in the green uh, field here, uh, and, and certainly there were some very significant riots in the early 1990s. Um, there are also some other significant uh, spikes uh, in violence, but uh, so the, the, there was a um, down period in the mid-1990s. Uh, it has been increasing a little, uh, but then there has been a slow uh, decrease in, in the total uh, number of, of casualties over the past six, seven years. However, if you look, if you compare this to the number of events, uh, it's, it's a quite different picture, and it's quite interesting that at least the the number of casualties per event has been going down quite drastically. 
so, so we certainly do expect to find slightly different results when looking at uh, events as opposed to uh, to uh, casualties. Of course, I mean some of some of the earlier episodes were driven by very intense uh, uh, events, like uh, like the uh, the riots after the demolition of the uh, of the Babidjar uh, Mosque, and you had very significant numbers of uh, people killed. Uh, but I think there is, you know, apart from the um, from the um, uh, outliers, I think uh, there is also a story about uh, a, s a slight decline in the uh, least per capita event uh, mortality. Um, just to give you a brief idea, um, let's see if I can make sure I'm reasonably on time. Um, to give you a brief idea about the distribution geographically between the three different measures, this is the state-based fatalities. Um, certainly the, the conflict in uh, Yamo Kashmir up uh, at the very top is, uh, is certainly the most intense conflict. We also have very uh, intense conflict in, uh, in other areas during this period, including Punjab. You see Assam and uh, Manipur up to the right, uh, and Andhra Pradesh uh, and um, uh, I'm not sure it's, that's correct, but, uh, at least in the Andhra Pradesh uh, area. Um, that is, is, is primarily the, uh, the uh, next light uh, movement. You have the one-sided conflicts, uh, also uh, separate not sort of one-sided conflict events in Yamush and Kashmir and Punjab, and again uh, up in Assam, but also in uh, Gujarat, uh, which is uh, also a state that has seen uh, quite a lot of, of Indo-Muslim rights. Uh, and this is the non-state conflicts between two organized groups. Uh, again, some of the same states, uh, some different. Um, uh, you have uh, both, again, uh, Gujarat uh, and Bihar, um, and also in the Northeast. Um, the education data that we use are uh, developed by Vegar Schierbeck, as I said, uh, based on a, on a model that uh, IASA has developed for the uh, cross-national data. Uh, they're using the 2001 census as the basis, but also use survey data, uh, and they're covering 22 states. Um, so this is data that is not released in such a form from the in Indian census uh, 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 authorities. Um, it's, it's certainly, it, it is an issue about, uh, about providing, you know, uh, socially structured data um, that can be used for uh, political purposes uh, in India. So there is a caution uh, in terms of providing uh, data on the uh, education and wealth status uh, on the group level. Um, I think, though, that, that uh, and as I'm going to show you, it, it, it does reveal quite some quite striking patterns. Um, in their data, they separate between three education levels, uh, with, uh, and, and the higher education level is really uh, expanding beyond what we think about as, as higher education, including everything from higher secondary, uh, intermediate, and upwards, uh, in terms of, of getting large enough uh, categories. Um, and you have a no education, uh, which is um, uh, essentially uh, illiterate or, or you know, with, with very little education. Um, so what they've essentially done is that they've done a, a, a population pyramid for each of the, uh, of the states where they separate both between gender uh, and age and also 
um, the uh, religion and the level of education. They have four different religious groups, or rather they have three different religious groups and another categories. They have for Hindus, for Christians, and for Muslims, and then for others <coughs> combined. Um, to give you an idea about uh, what the, how we're combining these data, um, if you look at uh, the measure of youth polls, just as I said, I'm, I'm measuring this as the proportion of 15 to 24 year olds in the adult population. So that's 15 and above. Uh, and if you look at, at some of the uh, measures for uh, other parts of the world, uh, this is according to the uh, um, 2004 uh, World Population Prospects, but it doesn't change that much uh, over the years. Um, Sub-Saharan Africa has uh, youth bulges of around 35%. The Middle East and North Africa is slightly below that, and you have an OECD average of, of a little below 15%. Um, these are, this is India compared to some other countries where youth bulges has been uh, you know, a particularly uh, prominent uh, argument, and you see India has much lower youth bulges than, uh, than you know, the, t the top uh, countries here, Zambia. Um, but also Yemen, Iran, Libya uh, have youth bulges above 35%. India is uh, roughly at 28, uh, 28 and a half in 2001. Uh, if you separate this using the data that, that uh, Vigard uh, and colleagues has provided, um, you can see that there is quite significant differences within India. So Yammu and Kashmir is a state with the largest youth bulges at above uh, 30%, while Kerala uh, has roughly 25%. And if you disaggregate this further by looking at also by uh, religion, you see that uh, Muslims in Delhi, this is of course driven also by migration, but Muslims in Delhi have a very young age structure uh, and uh, roughly 37% of, of uh, this is, this is uh, actually looking specifically at the young male population. Uh, so um, 30, uh, 70, 38% of the adult population uh, of Muslims in Delhi uh, are between the ages of 15 and 24. Uh, and similar number for uh, Christians in uh, Kerala is uh, just above 20. Um, we're also relating this to the bare branches uh, argument. And uh, they've, uh, they, one of the interesting things when, when looking at these data is that you can also look at the, um, the balance at very young ages uh, between boys and girls uh, trying to get at the potential future effects of uh, gender imbalances. And um, this, is, this is the sort of the green fields here are, the, these are the two outliers in both directions. So Haryana Punjab have the most um, skewed gender balances when it comes to the uh, age group zero to four year, uh, year olds. Uh, and, and roughly 25% more boys than girls in this age group, which is a very significant difference. Uh, if you look at Kerala and West Bengal, uh, it's about the uh, sort of the the world average, uh, what you would expect for uh, sort of coming out of natural causes. Um, if you look at um, at uh, Haryana and Punjab in, in particular, uh, the all the all, most of the action is happening in the other category, which here are uh, mostly the Sikh population in uh, Haryana and Punjab, uh, and and you get up to in in Haryana, 35% more boys than, than girls uh, in the other category. Uh, and again, you know, extremely, it, it's hard to believe that whether it's, it's going to cause conflict or not is, is, is one thing, but it's hard to believe that such gender imbalances are not going to have very significant, you know, social political impact at some point in some form. 
But it's also interesting to see that there is a certain sort of uh, variation, uh, you know, there, is, there is a certain diffusion uh, of, 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 uh, of culture and, and cultural uh, acceptance of, uh, of uh, you know, female uh, uh, abortion and infanticide. Uh, if you look across Punjab, so the, the, the other category primarily consisting of Sikhs has the highest, but you also see very high levels both in, in, uh, sorry, in, the, in the Hindu population but also quite surprisingly in the, uh, among Muslims and Christians, which elsewhere have uh, relatively low uh, gender imbalances. So it's not only an issue of religion and culture, but it's uh, 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 also diffusing uh, into other groups, especially where you have very um, uh, large groups who are uh, subscribing to very strong preferences for male uh, offspring. Um, and then moving on to the, uh, the education measures that we are using, this is the, uh, the share of all uh, men aged 15 to 20, uh, sorry, this is a share of uh, men in the age group 15 to 24 with no education. So uh, roughly 25% of all Indian men in this age group uh, have no education, no or very little education. Uh, if you look at across states, you find that it differs a lot between Kerala, which is a, a state that invests heavily in education, and Bihar, uh, which is the, the outlier on the other side, where roughly 40% of uh, young men are uh, without any education. And again, if you further disaggregate this by uh, 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 religion, uh, it's the Muslims in Bihar that are the sort of least educated and the most uh, sort of socially excluded, with more than 50% having no or little education compared to Christians uh, in Kerala, which uh, which is almost negligible. Uh, um, we also add the uh, the uh, uh, some data on uh, horizontal inequality again, based uh, on the state level, based on demographic health surveys. Uh, this is something that my colleague Gudrun Naspe has been doing uh, based on uh, the work that she has done cross-nationally, um, looking uh, both at household assets. Um, there is no direct income data that we can use, but we're looking at household assets as a way of, of uh, assessing whether um, households uh, have a certain uh, income level um, measured by uh, availability of electricity, radio, television, refrigerator, bicycles, and motorcycles, and our cars. And we also have a measure of education years. Uh, although here we, also, we only use the education of the mother, or the, the, the woman uh, interviewed, which uh, certainly doesn't capture as well the, uh, uh, where you have situations of very unequal uh, education. Mm -hmm. Um, and we do this both by religion and by caste and measure the distance both um, between the, um, yeah, we measured, sorry, measuring the distance between larger group and the average of, uh, of the other religious uh, uh, groups. So this is the, uh, the uh, quite unpretty uh, regression results. Uh, to make it slightly more legible, I'll add something, add a red box view. What we've uh, found so far is that um, this, is, uh, this is the differential growth measure that we're using, the, the, the mere difference in growth between the largest and the second largest group. Uh, and this is the parity, meaning the, uh, how, how equal in size they are. And what we find is that when, when groups are more equal in size, the uh, issue of differential growth is more salient. And the interaction between Differential growth and parity is, is statistically significant in the direction that we expect. 
uh, we don't uh, find uh, the uh, horizontal inequality measure to behave the way that we expected. In, in fact, larger horizontal inequalities uh, are associated with uh, less conflict, which is uh, slightly puzzling. And, and uh, again, this is a very early stage uh, in the project. And it's, it's measured as, uh, as a, um, uh, an index of, of household goods of the largest group compared to the average of the other groups uh, in that state. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll be able to, to give you the details afterwards. Um, what we find when, when looking at the, uh, the age structure data is that the overall um, measure for youth bulges is, uh, so if, if you're granting sort of 10% uh, significance level, uh, there might be something there suggesting that uh, larger uh, cohorts of, uh, of young men um, are actually associated with, uh, with less uh, conflict, which is uh, also slightly uh, puzzling, but it, it, it uh, jumps in and out and, and we're not really sure. Uh, Exactly. It's uh, it's uh, it, it actually doesn't uh, it doesn't matter very much to the uh, to the uh, uh, overall results. We we don't we don't find the results that we expected. What we do find is that uh, if you look at the difference uh, between the largest and the second largest groups in terms of age structure, uh, the larger that difference in any direction, uh, the uh, there is a slightly increase in risk uh, of of, of uh, conflict. Um, this is again across the different, the three different categories of armed conflict or uh, conflict that we're looking at. Um, and, uh, and also we don't find uh, any uh, evidence that uh, uh, low education levels in the um, uh, young male population affects it directly. It's, we also have literacy in there, uh, which um, is uh, very strongly significant. Uh, so higher levels of, of literacy as expected decreases the risk of, of violence, um, but uh, it doesn't have any impact uh, on the um, low education measure, uh, whether we take it out or not. Uh, but certainly we're using literacy as a, as a general measure of development, uh, and we're gonna try to look at some other measures to try to see if we can tease out some more effect of that. Um, Yeah, we find uh, also that, that higher uh, rural shares are associated with uh, less conflict. Um, but that is, it's, it's currently a sort of a bag of different, uh, different um, types of conflict. We have to disaggregate that more. But so far, we haven't found very, uh, very clear patterns uh, suggesting that uh, there are good reasons to look at this um, uh, at, at the different measures. Uh, and then we have the negative binomial model, uh, the event count model, uh, largely finding many of the same uh, results. Uh, and again, the interaction between differential growth and parity uh, is, is statistically significant. I think none of them are, none of the constitutive terms are significant if you uh, leave out the interaction term. Uh, again, the horizontal inequality uh, measure comes out uh, the opposite as what we uh, expected. Um, and um, again, the measure of difference between youth bulges between the largest ethnic groups, uh, largest religious group and the second largest uh, is statistically significant. So at least we find some, some pretty consistent uh, evidence for that, um, suggesting that uh, there is, uh, might be something to the differential uh, growth argument. 
Uh, and again, the, the control variables are uh, uh, behaving relatively similar. Uh, so just to give a brief uh, summary of, of, the, uh, of the main findings of the project, we, we do find that differential age structure uh, transitions um, are affecting uh, the, um, uh, the likelihood of conflict, both using the event measure and the uh, uh, binary measure. And we also find some uh, 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 puzzling and, and some expected uh, uh, results of education. Um, and also the, uh, the finding that differential growth uh, when approaching parity uh, is, is very much uh, in line with what we expected to see. Uh, there's a puzzling effect of horizontal inequality that we will have to look at. One of the things that we're, we are planning to do is try to look at the uh, differences, systematic differences in education between uh, religious groups based on the data set that, uh, that um, uh, Vegard Schierbeck has developed to try to get at, uh, at a different angle of, uh, of systematic inequalities. And we're also going to have to uh, look more at trying to unpacking the uh, development uh, measure that we're using, uh, trying to understand how that plays into it. That's the end of the slide. You mean empirically what's, what's driving the, the differential growth among populations or? Right, right. Yeah. Um, well, I, 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 I do think that um, at least the initial results suggest that it, it is particularly when you have, uh, when you have the, the dynamics of, of, uh, of different growth rates um, between religious groups, which, which is what is driving it. It's a, a simple measure of just the heterogeneity of and, and, and most Indian states have, you know, very significant heterogeneity across a lot of, of different uh, 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 dividing lines. Um, so uh, I, I, I think, uh, you know, what what we are seeing is, is really sort of the the uh, uh, impact of uh, of sort of the the larger uh, changes in uh, in relative size of the groups that are in the most um, sort, of, uh, uh, sort of immediate uh, competition situation where you have relatively uh, equal sized groups. What is actually driving the, uh, the, uh, the growth rates of these, uh, these um, uh, populations is something that I know Vegard is looking at and trying to explain. Um, I think that for, some, for certain areas, uh, migration is certainly a very important part of that. Uh, and uh, uh, both in the Northeast, and we're also trying to include measures here of 
uh, of migration, there is data uh, in the censuses uh, on, uh, and, and the demographic health surveys on, um, we're using census data on the proportion of, uh, of uh, the census population that was born in another state and born in another country. Uh, we haven't found any uh, se sort of separate effect of the migration measures that we're using. Um, there, sorry? Uh, no, we don't. Uh, and, and, and there's certainly, you know, a very significant uh, uh, potential for, you know, getting better data. Uh, yeah, but that that would be. And I think the, the demographic health surveys have uh, sort of less um, sort of longitudinal data. I think I think uh, they have some data on uh, whether you've been living in that location in the past five or ten years. So it could be used as sort of an, an immediate measure of, of immediate uh, sort of uh, the, the uh, more recent migration to the city uh, to, to the uh, to the states but not uh, sort of as, as a very good overall measure of migration and a mi migrant population um, but I, 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 I as far as I know there are also you know significant differences in terms of, of, uh, of fertility uh, that are playing in uh, probably not as, as important as as some of the uh, political uh, activists using the argument uh, claim, but uh, there are certainly uh, fertility differentials as well that are driving these uh, growth rates. I don't know the, uh, the significance of, we, we discussed this briefly yesterday in terms of conversions. I'm, uh, m my impression is that the level of conversions in India is, is, at least compared to the other driving forces, probably not very significant, but uh, it could of course also play in. I mean, in some areas you have had very significant conversion from uh, among low-cost Hindus into, uh, especially into uh, to Islam. So, but I don't know how, how well that, I, I, I don't think that there are very good data on that. Yeah. Can you go back to the slide where you show the, uh, the, the GD effect of what looks to be female and men? Mm-hmm. I, I, I don't think I caught all of the data. Now, is that a, in the same region or across the region? Is that the same region? Um, so these are, these are the four regions that I look at specifically just here for the purpose of, of illustration. So this is, this is within Punjab. Uh, so you can see, I mean, uh, even, in, even in the Muslim and Christian population, you have very significant uh, uh, elevated levels of, of uh, young male. Well, I'm wondering if you really, you know, it might be a diffusion, but what I think is more likely, given some of my research, is that the economic structure Right. Uh, well, that, that is one aspect. The other, the other very important aspect in, in India is, is the bride prices, right? So, uh, and, and I, I, I don't know enough about that to say how that differs between different states within India. Uh, but I, I've been assuming that that at least does explain some of the variation between religions. Um, and it also could be that there is a underlying cultural bias against girls that's yeah. separable from Right. Yeah. No. I, and that's that, that's what I think might be going on here, uh, explaining why all religious groups have, you know, significantly higher than average uh, levels of of, uh, of uh, boys over girls. Uh, but I, I think it's an important. Um, it's, it's, it's probably a very relevant point to look into the. Yeah. 
Yeah, no, that's a good point. Yeah. I, I just don't see Christians borrowing. <laughs> if they do it, they're doing it subconsciously. Yeah, no, I, I was I was surprised to see that. I don't <laughs> think that there are very many other states than Punjab, though, that, that has so well. But you can see that in Haryana, Christians are down to almost the same level as, as you will have in, in, in Kerala uh, at 1.05. Uh, but Muslims still have uh, 1.10. Uh, so it's. Uh, it's going to be hard. difficult to tease out. It's, it's it is, yeah. yeah. I mean, I, we, 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 that's certainly not, not something we uh, attempt to do in this paper. But I think that uh, that's one of the things that Vegard is going to look at in his. He has a larger project in trying to understand better the uh, how. how um, religious demographics are working. Uh, and I think there's, I mean, just these data are showing that, you know, there's a lot of, of, uh, of very interesting uh, data to look at and a lot of potential explanations of why, why we see these patterns. Yeah? Um, you said we were thinking about the presidential campaign in the United States now, uh, where we have Well, I mean, certainly, I, whether or not to include the U.S. presidential elections in in a, in, a, in analysis is, is a different matter, but uh, might might be feasible. But um, I think that that inequality is certainly a very important part of the story that we're trying to establish, and we will be looking more into that in detail. Uh, I think um, I, I think it's. Um, we haven't found any uh, support for any of the vertical inequality, so, so the distance between the richest and the poorest, uh, or the most and least well-off in, in society for India. And that's actually, I believe, quite um, quite true also for the cross-national uh, studies that they've been not been able to establish very firmly that levels of vertical inequality uh, affects the risk of, of, uh, of armed conflict. Um, Could it be that it Yeah. 
fair, fair enough. And, and I think that if you look at other forms of violence, uh, there is a, is a much more uh, diverse picture, although I don't know that literature as well. But I mean, we're looking at a very uh, specific form of, of, of violence and conflict uh, and, and exclude a lot of other sort of potentially harmful uh, you know, uh, behavior. Uh, I think that if you look at, I, I believe that at least for several Latin American countries, you find uh, a relationship between levels of inequality uh, and and homicide, uh, so uh, which is uh, you know in, in in total numbers a more important killer than uh, than armed conflicts globally. Uh, so there's certainly a lot of violence to to go around, and and some of that may certainly be explained by uh, by levels of inequality. I I think that one of the reasons why we haven't found inequality to matter so much is uh, is simply because. Um, some of the worst off groups are simply not, simply don't have the capabilities to wage a, a conventional armed conflict. Um, so, uh, yeah. yeah. This is India. Mm -hmm. These people believe in karma. Mm -hmm. And so, if you were to go anywhere in the world where you would expect inequality to be less serious politically, mm -hmm. it might well be India. Mm -hmm. Because uh, these people are much more fatalistic about different social differences than an average Westerner. And that actually links back to the issue of, of politics. You could, you could actually, I, th there's fairly good election data on also on the state level uh, in, in India, uh, both on, on uh, you know, the, the uh, 
the results and, and, and obviously the dates. Uh, and I, I wouldn't be surprised if you could also find some measure of, of representation of women in, uh, in local parliaments, which would be incredibly interesting to look at. Um, we do have education data by gender, uh, so we could we could look at that specifically, and I think it's a great idea, uh, and uh, and uh, we'll certainly do that. We we already have plans for expanding the analysis to look at um, at uh, the importance of of politics or, or, or of elections. There's there is a limit to how many uh, variables we can juggle around with, uh, so that that has been our limit so far. But it certainly that is off the list of, of variables that we will be looking at, um, and. Um, uh, corruption indices. I haven't thought about that directly, but I agree that that would be incredibly interesting to look it's at as well. Right yeah, now, yeah. You know, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I don't. I, I have no idea whether it's going to be possible to get the data, uh, but it's uh, it's certainly a, a, a great idea. Uh, so thanks. Yeah, yeah, one-sided. No, and, and we're quite frustrated by that. Uh, I mean, it's, I mean, the fuzziness of the Logan model, yeah. given how much variation there is, but yeah. we didn't see a consistent pattern across that for No. Really? Yeah. Uh, and I, I really, I, I want to, uh, so they will be releasing the conflict data uh, hopefully soon, and I, I, I really want to have a good look at the conflict data before I, I start doing, uh, you know, more export and analysis on it's it's surprising how how uh, uh, similar they perform the three models and just that middle category of organized versus civilians yeah just lend itself to the arguments that you're making yeah, and yeah. I, I agree and I you know I, I would expect to see you know exactly the, that that would be the category where it happens yeah uh, and it's uh, it's uh, it, it is very surprising that we don't see that and I I have to go in and, and, and see on you know assess the coding of the data. Uh, uh, it's not entirely clear to me uh, uh, how how they've coded all the, in the individual events. We might be able to do a subset, especially of the one-sided uh, violent uh, events, to try to look at it more specifically, uh, and especially look at at riots. Uh, but um, yeah, no, it's uh, it's uh, not not playing out. Uh, wow, I'm I, I am very surprised as well. Yeah. Uh, so uh, I, I didn't present all of those results here because it didn't it didn't drive, you know give any meaningful uh, results. But uh, yeah, that's uh, that's as on the agenda as well. So I'm, I'm uh, trying to well. Yeah. Well, I was going to ask a question about the one-sided violence. Yeah. It struck me that is the one-sided violence likely Hindu Muslim for the most part or Muslim Hindu? Uh, I, I mean, in principle, it should it should cover both. Uh, I don't know uh, how how good. Uh, I mean, uh, these these will typically be cycles of violence, right? Yep. So whether you yeah. can say it's Hindu-Muslim or Muslim-Hindu yeah, is is, is perhaps yeah. not always very clear. Yeah. Um, and that's that's. I mean, if, if we could get data on the sort of the, the direction of violence, we would generally uh, you know be be much better off uh, because then we could directly look at whether you know this is you know. How how this relates to what kinds of, of changes in in the balance of uh, of uh, the demographic balance of, of uh, populations, um, but that's that's not something I think we can retrieve from the data, uh, unfortunately. Yeah. Any other question, John? Um, I have a 
Think about the, your what, statement of a large number of events is John Luke Cash there. Um, we want to look at the history of that, exactly origin, what's kept it going, role of Pakistan next door. I mean, why think that this demographic stuff would be much? I mean, that is, that, there's a past dependency to be something like Cashmere that you wonder if, I know you're finding effects, but I. No, I, I agree. I, I think that's um, that's very uh, very valid point. So I, uh, we will be controlling for. We haven't done that so far. We will be controlling for um, violence in, in neighboring states. Uh, I mean, there certainly I mean, there certainly are spillover effects, uh, and and those are even stronger within a country uh, as compared to you know cross national research. There there certainly are spillover effects. In, in uh, when you look at conflict globally as well uh, between countries, uh, so uh, and, and there are some very prominent examples in in sub-Saharan Africa. Yeah, um, but those yeah, I, I think you know both both trying to uh, to control for neighboring conflict and, and also looking at some kind of outlier uh, analysis is, is the way to go to try to to look at these issues. And uh, we're in the very early phases of this, and I, I really appreciate that kind of feedback. It's uh, it's very going to be very useful. Yeah, I, I would think in the Kashmir area that what the Indian Army is doing is playing a big role with regard, you know, in terms of the occupation forces and the way in which they do or don't do certain kinds of house arrest, policing, et cetera. Yeah. That would probably play a big role with regard to the kind of conflict that you're seeing, whereas in, yeah. in other areas, basically, yeah. I think for the most part, yeah. yeah. But that also brings me back to the point that, that we are a little bit confused about the lack of, of uh, variation between the different measures, because you, you would expect to see more. I mean, if, if there were some, some cases like that that were driving the results, you would expect to see that you know, there, there were more significant differences in the, in the conflict measures. Um, so, uh, but um, uh, certainly, 
Yemen Kashmir is, is, uh, is an extreme case. Of course, uh, the, the parity of, of, uh, of religious groups in, in Yemen and Kashmir uh, is, is more off than uh, many other states within India. So it wouldn't, exp it wouldn't be the one that drives our results. It would rather you know, work in the opposite direction. Yeah, it struck me, one thing that struck me about it is this comes back to the aggregation or disaggregation of the, of the violence. Mm -hmm. But a lot of people have made an argument that to understand, for example, well, basically horizontal inequality-driven conflict, ethnic conflict, we'll call it for the moment, um, that a lot of people try to make the argument that we need to disaggregate these events and try to sort out the different mm -hmm. kinds. And I'm kind of struck by the fact that at least at some level you're not finding that mm -hmm. And that itself is kind of curious. Yeah, no, it is. Yeah. Um, but we're trying to add some angles to that uh, uh -huh. to see if uh, we can find something else for that. Yeah. 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 Uh, I think Goa is the only one that doesn't. No, we haven't done that. We, we've done some. Uh, we have done some serum flighted, uh, and and, uh, and uh, we don't have very strong theoretical reasons to believe that it, it should fit our you know, data very well. Uh, it, it also doesn't provide any kind of uh, of meaningful results. It's, it's all over the place. Uh, but uh, I'll. Uh, uh, it's, I mean, we, we are running the logit model to try to, you know, reduce the effect of uh, of, uh, of the number of events in certain areas. But, uh, that, that, I mean, zero is basically marrying logit and yeah. negative yeah. binomials, yeah. so you're more or less doing it already. Yeah. So if you're finding similar results, yeah. like, yeah. and you don't have a negative, like, if you don't have a distribution problem, then mm. it doesn't seem like there's a point to reason mm. to use it. Mm. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Great. Yeah. Thank you very much. I told you people would begin leaving around. That's fine. I'm used to that. It's uh yeah. No, it's, that's the way it works. Uh, like I was back at the room. Yeah. Oh. Hi. 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 Hi.